Previously on Transformers University, we've been scouring all of the media of the original Generation 1 Transformers boom, and we continue to do so with the centerpiece of the Transformers Universe in 1985, the cartoon, as we cover episodes 16 through 20 of season 2, which takes us to overall G1 episode something like 36. What is that anyway, something like 36? Does that include me? On Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to episode 27 of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner and operator of TFU.info, and today we're continuing our dive into season two of the original cartoon, Generation One as it's known, with episodes 16 through 20. Today we're going to talk about the Master Builders, Auto Berserk, Microbots and Megatron's Master Plan Parts 1 and 2. Now, before I get into our first episode, The Master Builders, I just want to thank everyone who's signed up over at patreon.com slash tfuinfo and become part of our Patreon. You got to hear this episode at least 24 hours ahead of everyone else. And don't forget, if you want to sign up, just swing on by patreon.com slash tfuinfo and one more quick plug we are still giving away a studio series thundercracker all you got to do check out our video about the giveaway over at youtube.com slash tfuinfo youtube.com slash tfuinfo and be sure to subscribe help us get to a thousand subscribers once we get to a thousand subscribers we will give away that Thundercracker, and all you have to do to enter is just comment on the video. All right, so we are deep in the heart of season two of the original cartoon, and this is really where we start getting into a very interesting area of the show because these episodes, for the most part, focus on spotlighting individual characters. It's kind of like a half-hour toy commercial for each individual toy, and or one or two toys, uh, depending, uh, especially for the first three episodes that we are going to cover today. And Master Builders is definitely a spotlight episode for Grapple, and to a lesser extent, Hoist. The episode was written by David N. Gottlieb and Herb Engelhart. Mr. Gottlieb was a writer on uh, cartoons such as Mask and the Jetsons movie. Herb Engelhart, also a writer on the Jetsons movie, and wrote some Thundercats as well. There's not a lot on these two guys. They didn't really have uh, much outside of animation to uh, fall back on as far as what I could tell you about them. What's a cartoon episode without some guests? And today, helping us go over why people love the Master Builders. From the Transmissions podcast, Daryl a.k.a. the Cybertronian Beast. Season 2's The Master Builders was by far my favorite episode as a kid. It didn't hurt the fact that it was one of the episodes that I had taped off the TV and could watch over and over again. I guess it stuck with me because of how well the episode 
built into its eventual conclusion. As the audience, we knew what was going to happen, but allow me to break it down for you. Grapple and Hoist invent a power tower. Really, it's Grapple. This power tower is a building that converts solar energy into energon cubes. When they present the idea to Optimus, he vetoes it on the basis that it may fall into Decepticon control. Oh well, guess that's the end of the episode. No. While on an outing to repair Powerglide, who had been recently shot down by Starscream, Grapple and Hoist are overheard discussing the power tower by the Constructicons, and in what should have been their first clue of what was to come, the Constructicons trap them so that they can convince Grapple and Hoist that they've left Megatron and want to build the power tower with them. Now cue a 1980s style montage of Grapple, Hoist, and the Constructicons working together to build the power tower. Now as this montage ends, we hear Grapple in one of his more moronic lines of the show say, My power tower will be powerless unless we can get the sun-focusing sphere up there. Oh, why didn't I see this predicament before? Scrapper then arrives to save the day and merge with the other Constructicons to form Devastator. They pick up the sphere and the power tower is now complete. Well, I guess that's the end of the episode. No. A large explosion then erupts behind Grapple, and Megatron's true plan is revealed. Off-screen, Grapple and Hoist are imprisoned within the tower. Next, Optimus Prime arrives on the scene with a large contingent of Autobots, and we get a really dumb line from Spike when he first sees the tower. Man, look at that! That's so tall, the top is in a different time zone than the bottom! Oh, Spike... Is this what happens when you don't finish school and instead go off to work on an oil platform? Anyway, the battle ensues and the Autobots beat up on the Constructicons individually when Megatron orders them to fall back and regroup. Regroup, I say! The Constructicons run behind the, the tower in twos. And once the final pairing have arrived, Megatron says, Constructicons, you know what to do! As the Autobots race back behind the power tower, they find not six individual Constructicons, but one giant Devastator. And if you ask me, he's way bigger than when he was helping grapple and hoist. After some battling with Devastator and a quick dogfight between Powerglide and Ramjet, it's pretty cool, the Autobots figure out how to use Devastator's size to their advantage and get him to fall into the power tower, destroying it as well as causing Devastator to decombine. It's at this point that Megatron and the Constructicons retreat, and the Autobots begin the task of looking for their friends Grapple and Hoist, whom they soon find. I guess, for me, my child brain wasn't interested in the power tower and the science of it. Which, in fact, the power tower is now an accessory that comes with Masterpiece Grapple. How cool is that? But more so, I was interested in the combination sequences of Devastator and the great battle at the end. This really is a fun episode, and I highly recommend it. And thanks, Daryl, for that awesome overview of the episode and why you love it so much. And if you're a longtime listener to this show, you know that the focus is always looking back through the lens of why we love this brand and these shows and these episodes and these comics and toys so much and i think daryl did a great job so if you want to catch more of daryl and the rest of the transmissions team 
Search out Transmissions Podcast. It's uh, just about everywhere you can find this podcast, and they are also now on Spotify. Now, one of the things Daryl failed to mention in his uh, review of the Master Builders, and <laughs> it's one of the more goofier things in this episode, so I understand why he skipped over it. Um, there is a handful of times in this episode where Optimus Prime is learning about playing basketball. And instead of me just telling you about it, just take a listen to some of these clips. Try to keep me from taking the ball. All right, Spike. <laughs> Am I drooling correctly? The word is dribbling, Optimus. Here, Spike, compute quickly. Oh, but it didn't stop there. Watch out, Spike. I'm driving for a layoff. And from there, we will rebound into Auto Berserk, Season 2, Episode 17. Overall, it's Episode 33 of the original series, written by Anthony Zalewski. Uh, he was a writer, also in animation, wrote on both the original Masters of the Universe as well as the New Adventures of He-Man, and also wrote for the incarnation of G.I. Joe produced by Deke, uh, which is not the one that looks a lot like the Transformers. And if Master Builders was a spotlight for Grapple and Hoist, this episode was certainly a spotlight for Inferno and Red Alert. Now, this plot is fairly standard off the top. It's about the Autobots testing a new weapon called the Negavator, and they're doing it with the U.S. military. And for more on this episode... We're going to toss it to the gamer going gray, David Schulz. Auto Berserk is by far my favorite of the original Transformers episodes. It starts with the Autobots helping the humans with some new super weapon that Wheeljack created, of course. And once again, of course, Soundwave is hiding as a tape recorder. Uh, there's a fight, as per usual, and one of the new characters, Red Alert, is damaged. And then he becomes paranoid. And that kind of is his thing. And this episode is a showcase of his thing. It's a very Red Alert-centric episode. Then that leads into another fight where a canyon's blocked and Red Alert is overheating. Um, he eventually teams up with Starscream and goes into the bunker the Autobots have created, sneaks him in, thinking that Starscream's on his team, that everybody else is out to get him because he's paranoid. Um, when the Autobots arrive, Red Alert takes out a bridge to stop the Autobots from helping. The Decepticons come back again. It's a pretty basic plot. There's nothing that special about the plot. Uh, the Decepticons retreat in the end, uh, of course. Um, the, the main thing about this episode, what is great, is the character moments in it. I'll get back to Red Alert, who, who leads it, and is, it's great with him, but... All the other characters just have great things to do. Smokescreen gets to show off his smoke smokescreen skills itself, um, blocking the Negavator at one point. Then the Decepticons try to get to it. They get all covered in smoke. And then Starscream yells, use your radar. And then he, Smokescreen, once again zaps them all so they can't even talk straight. Hey, my circuit's electric blue! Just out to mine! I'm blind flying! Away move before collide we! 
and then they all collide into a canyon wall. It's a, it's a funny moment. Then right after that, Ramjet gets a moment, and he's all covered with smoke and wants to take out the Autobots, and slams right into Megatron, who replies with the best line of the episode, I've got morons on my team! Uh, Hoist is a bunch in this episode. He's also one of the newer characters. And just little moments. Just He always seems to be very helpful. And um, at one point, Optimus Prime almost uh, crushes him with a cage protecting the Negavator, not waiting for Hoist to actually get to a safe distance, which is kind of unlike Optimus, but it's a funny moment. Inferno is a hot-headed character who's friends with Red Alert. Um, Red Alert gets kind of pissed at him because Inferno went to go fight with the Autobot, and that's how Red Alert got hurt in the first place. But then at the very end, um, Red Alert is saved by Inferno, and then there's this touching line at the very end. With friends like these, real friends, it's easy to be brave. As Red Alert is being carried like a bride across the threshold by by Inferno. It's touching, and I know that there are people who ship them. Okay, that's fine with me. I can see it. Um, Starscream is great in this episode. He's full scheming. He does his thing. Um, Soundwave even gets some funny lines, which um, at one point, him and Rumble are fighting, and he's yell he yells to Rumble, Rumble, eliminate resistance, and Rum Rumble just responds... Grapple gets moments in talking about his buildings, and at one point he um, gets to totally be a robot in disguise. When the Decepticons at the end are um, going after the Autobots, he's just sitting there in vehicle mode and they're ignoring him until he d dumps a bunch of rocks on him. So it's just filled with these little character moments that makes it such a great episode. And this is not nostalgia talking. This is not an episode I had from my childhood. I didn't have that many. Um, mostly just season one episodes that I had the VHS tapes of and the movie. So season two, I didn't get to view until I was in high school when Kid Rhino started putting out the VHS tapes, the later ones. And this was one of the early ones that saw it. And just like, this is a good episode. And the more I watched it, the more I realized this is a terrific Transformers episode. If, if you're trying to get someone into Transformers, I mean, sure, start with them with more than meets the eye, but Auto Berserk is a great episode to show them. Even if they're like, well, who are all these new characters? It's not like you actually have an answer to give them anyway. Great episode, highly recommended. I'd say the highlight of season two. And of course, you can catch David on his YouTube channel, Gamer Going Gray. And of course, he's a regular contributor to this podcast. Uh, a couple of things uh, I think are neat about this episode that I, I do want to kind of just note in here. Uh, first off, from an art standpoint, R Grapple's head, because uh, Grapple does appear in this episode, uh, is now painted black like the toy, whereas the previous episode, it was yellow. Uh, we have a rare appearance in this episode by Frenzy, the red one. I also find it neat during this episode that Starscream and Red Alert at one point are just hanging out in a garage talking as Starscream tries to uh, unhatch his plan on Red Alert to convince them to work together. You don't see that much in G1 or even in Transformers cartoons in general 
at all. And uh, it's just kind of a neat, neat touch. And finally, speaking of Starscream Red Alert, eventually when they fight each other at the end, it's Starscream's Null Ray that stabilizes Red Alert. Uh, and so another neat twist in that they, one, they call back the Null Ray on, as one of Starscream's weapons, but that it's also used in a capacity where the power of the beam, whatever the Null Ray does, because it's never actually explained, does nullify the effects of Red Alert's uh, short-circuited functions. And from spotlighting Autobot cars in the last two episodes, we're going to actually spotlight the Autobot scientist Perceptor in the next episode, Microbots. And Microbots is Season 2, Episode 18, overall Episode 34, written by David Wise. And if you remember how we talked about David Wise in a previous episode, David Wise um, was a writer on Masters of the Universe prior to Transformers and was the story editor, which is basically the head writer on the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon afterwards. And David Wise is certainly known for recycling plots and ideas and possibly even bits of script. So we're going to introduce a new segment. It's a segment I like to call Wise to the Game. So when you hear that sound clip, just know we're going to do a little bit of comparison to another piece of David Wise's career. Now the episode begins with a Decepticon ship found in Mayan ruins. So here's this ancient human ruins uh, being dug up by archaeologists and they find a spaceship inside. Uh, the news actually reports that it crashed four million years ago, which would be at the same time the Decepticons and Autobots crashed the Ark on Earth. Megatron knows what's inside of this ship, and then we cut back to the Autobots at base. Uh, Braun and Perceptor are arguing while Perceptor is trying to fix a microchip in Ironhide. Uh, the argument is basically brains versus brawn. Brawn feels that Perceptor, because he uh, hangs back at the base and does mechanical work, and that he is not a fighter, that he is not a true Autobot. The Autobots get word of the ship that is found in South America, and Optimus Prime, of course, says, let's drive there. So they drive from... The Pacific Northwest to somewhere in South America. Now, at least this time, they are not driving over water. Uh, how they get around things like uh, the national borders and just where in South America this is, uh, is left open to interpretation, to say the least. Uh, the Decepticons, they're hanging out in a, basically a rainforest in South America and Starscream is attacked by a snake. Ravage fights it out with a cheetah. And then the Decepticons eventually make their way through and find the ship. Megatron removes what was called an energy maximizer with the name of the Heart of Cybertron. Says it powered the Decepticon ship through space before they crashed on Earth. So this is actually a really neat point in the continuity and actually a very important one later on when we get to 
Beast Wars. And this ship here is what will later be known as the Nemesis. Now, many are wondering if you are familiar with what the Nemesis is, or if you're just saying, hey, isn't the Decepticon ship underwater? Well, that's that's a different ship. They built that ship over the course of the first three episodes of the series. Uh, that ship would later get a name. It would be called the Victory. Now, the Victory is the ship that is underneath the water and acts as the Decepticon base most of the time. This ship, uh, which would eventually be called the Nemesis, is the one the Decepticons were flying in the original episode before they crashed to Earth. So, Megatron takes the heart of Cybertron and has Hook implanted in his body. Um, this thing powers him up incredibly. The Autobots attack Megatron, Optimus, Brawn, Ironhide, Ratchet, Huffer, Blue Streak, Windcharger, Smokescreen, all defeated by Megatron simply firing lasers out of his hands. In order to win, the Autobots need to drop an entire hill on the Decepticons, and then they head back to base. Back at base, there's another weird little animation thing. There's a whole bunch of damaged computer screens at the base, even though it's the Autobots that are damaged and not the base. Uh, the Autobots begin repairs, uh, and we find out back at the now fallen hill, the Decepticons dig out, cut back to the arc where Prime diverts all power to the force fields. And we find out that Perceptor has an idea. It's called Honey, I Shrunk the Autobots. Okay, that movie came out after this episode, so we can't really use that as a reference, but like I said, we're wise to the game. Now, David Wise must have a thing for Isaac Asimov's Fantastic Voyage. Uh, it's a plot device that's been used in television and movies way, 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 way many times. Um, it's basically where a character gets shrunken down to microscopic size to usually enter uh, another person, another living thing, and cure them of something like an inner space or... Um, remove something, steal something. Uh, and in this episode, Bumblebee, Brawn, and Perceptor are going to be shrunk down because early in the episode, when Perceptor was repairing Ironhide, he has this ray that um, enlarges microchips and so he can see them better. And, and then he repairs them and shrinks them back down and puts them back in. And so we're using this same technology to shrink Bumblebee, Brawn, and Perceptor they're going to go inside of Megatron and disconnect the heart of Cybertron from his body because they know they can't defeat him when he's that powered up and remove it from him. So Powerglide is enlisted to fly the new microbots out to the Decepticons. Cut away. The Decepticons victorious are hanging out and they're getting drunk. Now, in what 
it can only refer to as visual comedy, uh, Power Glide drops the package of mini microbots onto Megatron uh, before getting discovered. But the Decepticons are too drunk to fight him. And this includes Laserbeak uh, trying to fly, spinning around, and crashing. And of course, being, quote, over-energized, Megatron feels he can fight the world. So Megatron is going to go take the fight by himself to the Autobots as Bumblebee, Braun, and Perceptor sneak inside of Megatron's body to find the heart of Cybertron. Now, while they're inside the body, and where do they end up? Where are we? Megatron's shoulder joint. His chest must be around here somewhere. I'm glad you told us. I never could have figured that out myself. Just hope he doesn't make any sudden moves. Oh, there's that sound. We are wise to the game. I said David Wise was the story editor on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in a particular episode called Shredder and Splintered. Krang, the brain monster that sits in the robot costume or robot transport, whatever you want to call it, gets enlarged to a huge size and a couple of the turtles have to sneak into his body to find a way to shrink him back down. And where do they end up? Oops, we must be in the shoulder joint. Let's just hope Krang doesn't make any sudden moves. All right, so back to the Transformers. The Autobots inside of Megatron start being attacked by essentially his immune system. They flee and they end up in Megatron's brain. Braun wants to punch Megatron in the brain. But before he can, he's attacked by Megatron's, quote, evil brain impulses. These are little snake-shaped things, and they attack the Autobots. Outside, Megatron has landed at the Ark and is firing on the base uh, on all of the Autobots at the Ark. Perceptor, Braun, and Bumblebee, they're looking for the heart of Cybertron, and they figure out a way to get there by letting the brain impulses, I'm sorry, the evil brain impulses do the work. That's Megatron's database conveying orders to the heart of Cybertron. If we can hitch a ride, it'll lead us straight to it. Here comes one. Grab it. There it is. Oh, there's that sound again. Back when he was working on Masters of the Universe, David Wise wrote an episode called Day of the Machines. In fact, the last time we talked about David Wise, we played a clip from Day of the Machines where he did cannibalize part of that script for a previous Transformers episode. So, I believe that... Oh, that was the Transformers episode called Day of the Machines. And here, not only did he cannibalize one thing from a previous Masters of the Universe episode. He used it twice in that episode. This spy beam permanently aimed at Man-at-Arm's lab. Since Bite is made of energy, he can ride the beam straight into the lab. So the microbots find 
the heart of Cybertron. They fight their way through. Perceptor disconnects it. And now they have to flee their way out of Megatron because they are growing. Oh, and there is that sound one more time. So, on their way out, they're growing, trying to get out of Megatron. And they do. They get out before they uh, get too big and before the heart of Cybertron becomes too unstable. And Bumblebee, on his way out of the evil Decepticon leader, says this. Is it my imagination? Or is this tunnel getting tighter? It's us. We're returning to our normal size. We've got to get out of here. Whoa! Uh, excuse us. And just a few years later in that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode, here's Donatello making his way out of Krang. We gotta get out of here. We'll be crushed. And once out of Megatron, Braun hurls the heart of Cybertron into the sky as it grows increasingly unstable. Perceptor transforms into his microscope mode, tracks it, and then blows it up using his microscope cannon. And that resolves the episode. But not before Braun takes a liking to his new pal. Anyone who doesn't think he's a hero is going to have to answer to me. And from Spotlight episodes, we end up on the first part of another two-parter as we go to Season 2, Episode 19, Episode 35 overall, Megatron's Master Plan, Part 1, by Donald F. Glute. This one starts out with the Coneheads and Starscream attacking the solar energy facility built by a businessman by the name of Sean Berger in a city called Central City. Uh, we know this because the plant is being opened by the mayor. Now, the mayor of Central City uh, apparently defeated Berger in the election for mayor. Inside the solar plant, Berger has tanks ready to fight the Decepticons. Uh, in the midst of this fight, the Autobots arrive, which makes Berger not happy. Uh, during this fight, we have some cool things like uh, Trax uses his black beam gun on the Decepticon jets and helps win the day for the Autobots. Again, much to the chagrin of Sean Berger, who wanted to be the hero of that day. Uh, out of that, the humans love the Autobots, and the mayor of Central City wants to honor them. In the meantime, in Berger's office, Laserbeak was spying, playing that old gag of sitting on his desk as a cassette, and kidnaps Berger. He takes Berger to Megatron, where... Megatron tells Sean Berger this. It pains me to see a man of your obvious brilliance deceived by Autobot propaganda. Autobot propaganda? You see, you are so brainwashed by it that you don't even suspect that they are evil and we are good. Oh, the power of public relations. So this is a really interesting thing in this day and age from something from almost 35 years ago, right? So we have a powerful person in Megatron claiming that the media has misportrayed him and his people. Um, 
it's certainly a parallel to some of the things we see in 2018. To quote Confucius, uh, there is nothing new under the sun. That said, Berger wants proof that the Autobots are evil, and Megatron says he will give it to him. Uh, and then we go to an oil field where the Autobots are stealing oil. Berger, watching above from a helicopter, records video of the Autobots being evil and stealing oil. Back at Central City, they are really good at putting together a quick parade. And this is the Autobot Day Parade, and it's over at City Hall. Berger shows up to this parade, to the television coverage of the parade, and hands the tape operator um, a tape demanding he interrupt the mayor. He also reminds the tape operator that he owns the TV network. The tape shows the Autobots stealing energy from the oil field. There's a second tape that shows the bots using an evil-making ray to turn the Decepticons evil, and a third tape from inside the Autobot base where the Autobots hatch their evil schemes. Amidst this confusion, the Autobots return to base, and as they leave, the crowd turns on them. Berger sends his tank to the Ark, demanding surrender. Turns out the mayor is also with him and places the Autobots under arrest. Optimus surrenders the Autobots to law enforcement, and they drive off. There is a trial at a football stadium for the Autobots. The Decepticons decide to show up just to watch. And at that point, Spike runs onto the field to get behind the scenes. Soundwave dispatches Ravage to stop him. And in their chase, Ravage is foiled by a revolving door. And I haven't seen anyone defeated by a revolving door like that since Officer Sweetchuck in Police Academy 3. Sweetchuck! What a lobby! And having escaped Ravage, Spike has a chance to go over the tape. And he finds out, yes, that the Decepticons were faking the Autobots stealing oil, that it was in fact Starscream dressed up as Optimus Prime and a number of the other Seekers dressed up as other Autobots, which is weird because in the attack scene between the Autobots and Decepticons, or the fake Autobots and the real Decepticons, Starscream was one of the ones flying and attacking the Autobots, so how he was in two places at once uh, is not really explained. Just then, Ravage catches Spike and we cut back to the Autobots who are now found guilty by the court on Earth. They are sentenced to be banished from Earth and Berger provides them a spacecraft to leave. Now, I understand Berger's a rich dude, but he just had a spacecraft sitting around and he's worried about running for mayor? Uh... You think this guy has some, I don't know, either A, would have some bigger vision, or B, why does he have a spaceship sitting around? The Autobots board the spaceship, they launch, and Megatron heads over to the Ark, where on Teletran 1, he, um, he shoots the screen, but like I guess with like a mild beam or some way of hacking it, um, because he changes the flight plan. Well, he disconnects communication between the ship and and Teletran 1, but he also changes the flight plan from Cybertron to the Sun. And I will pause here to say, why is the Sun a menu option here? Like, it's not like Megatron wrote Sun, he just scanned it and then changed it to Sun. So clearly there was a menu option here with like Cybertron, the Moon, the Sun. 
the sun should never be a destination. But that is where our cliffhanger ends. So with the Autobots on a collision course to the sun and about to die, we turn to part two of Megatron's Master Plan, season two, episode 20, overall episode 36. What? Something like 36? And for more on that, I give you Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here, going to review Megatron's Master Plan Part 2. <clears throat> I had uh, called uh, to do one one part of this episode, at least, uh, well ahead of time. This is one I did want to uh, uh, comment on uh, personally, because it's uh, one of the ones I've had the biggest change of hearts on, and just in the last two years, um, you know, it, there was at one point I would have, you know, I definitely called this the stupidest episode of the entire run um maybe you know even dumber than a uh, prime problem by a bit you know but those are two kind of for me fight you know in terms of logic and pure storytelling always you know stuck out to me as just really really bad and lazy writing uh prime problem is still st really very stupid and i know other people say like the worst episodes you know carnage and c minor city of steel you know, plot-wise, those weren't really bad. They just had really bad execution. This is uh, a case, you know, th these two episodes, I think, is a case of just really, really bad and lazy writing. Uh, up until, uh, yeah, I said just recently, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that as I uh, go on reviewing Me uh, Megatron's Master Plan Part 2. Basically, the Decepticons team up with a, uh, a Hollywood uh, television guy. They create a bunch of uh, fake news. And uh, submit it to the uh, media around the world. And despite everything everyone's seen for probably about a year, going on a year at this point in the world, everyone immediately turns on the Autobots saying, you guys are, you know, it's obvious, you know, we've been fooled. And the world just immediately believes this fake news. And they're just, it's, you know, not to the, to the point the Autobots completely acquiesce, even though they know it's a mistake, but they're so being so weirdly goody goody to the point of uh, you know endangering lives, you know they accept the uh, the they accept the banishment. Uh, Megatron is uh, reprograms Teletran One to send them into the sun, and that's where we pick up uh, with uh, with a parade for the Decepticons. Yeah, uh, from a military standpoint. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting to see the uh, the Decepticons know how to march in time. Uh, if you ever wondered, you know, do uh, Transformer military people uh, know marching movements? I, this episode answers that, yes. We also have a, a cut to, uh, a fairly famous cut to a kid in a, uh, it's like a, a Megatron-ish outfit, but he strongly resembles uh, Daniel. Uh, of course, he wouldn't be born for another... Uh, Geez, 15 years, I think, at this point. Uh, Gabe math there. But, uh, yeah, and plus the, uh, you know, the the, the, the Megatron suit kind of looks like an exosuit. It's, it's just kind of creepy. And uh, there's another little bit of famous uh, bit here where uh, a Rumble, the blue one, gives uh, tells Soundwave to get down in a, a dance club, and uh, Soundwave is is down on one knee, I think, because he can't stand in it, basically. But it's supposed to, it's supposed to be comical, but it's, uh, the, 
a fandom interpretation that made it more comical that he took a rumble suggestion literally and just got down on one knee. So take it however you will. It's still uh, one of the funnier and goofier uh, bits of uh, the season two. Of course, we cannot forget uh, the guy offering Laserbeak a cracker and Laserbeak looking like he's about ready to uh, just uh, eye blast that dude to death. But unfortunately, he knows he has to keep up the charade for just a little bit longer. But also, the whole the whole scene's just goofy. And uh, definitely for those of you in the camp of uh, great as Optimus Prime is, he's our hero, uh, wise and compassionate. He makes some really, really dumb decisions in life. And uh, here we see he had this resolve to follow the Earth's wishes and exile himself and his troops from their planet. And then halfway through, he's like, yeah, you know what? I was wrong. So I'm just going to turn around and uh, go back, you know, which, you know, would make him, you know, even worse in their eyes. Is like not only is he, uh, you know, this evil guy who's been fooling us all the time, but then, of course, he turned around and broke his promise and came back. So, uh, you, you know, all around just poor leadership skills on Optimus Prime's part here. Of course, we have a, an interesting point also is uh, uh, basically how did Chip and the, the Wit Wikis not get uh, uh, arrested for treason? You know, they're basically, uh, you know, known sympathizers and people who work closely with the Autobots. So they would have known by the logic of the storyline. And yet they're allowed to roam unfettered. They don't seem to, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think Megatron would have just out of, you know, covering his bases... You know, hey, the, these guys are troublemakers. Let's get the humans to lock up them as traitors. You know, plan complete. And uh, it, it kind of a, a large oversight on on both the Earths, uh, on, I guess it would be the U.S. jurisdiction on uh, the Witwickies and Chip Chase, and uh, Megatron at least not suggesting it. So, a bit odd. Uh, we get to a press conference with Berger and the Decepticons, Right after seemingly the Autobots have exploded into the sun, been evaporated, and Megatron reveals uh, it was a ruse all along. He's planning on taking over the planet. Somewhere you can hear uh, about 20% of the country going, I'd still vote for him again. So uh, <laughs> uh, one of the, uh, the security guard, he turns on Burger here. Uh, Ant, uh, help me out here. He's... I, the voice is, uh, is one of the main uh, voice actors on the show, but I'm just I'm not placing him right now. But it, it just it took me right out because it was like one of the Autobots' voices coming from the uh, security guy. That would be Dan Gilvezan, the voice of Bumblebee. We've been working for a traitor. Uh, we get a little bit of uh, Dirge's uh, tech spec here, as uh, he goes to attack as the uh, Seekers go to attack uh, some unnamed city. So uh, that, that's a nice little touch and kind of reminds us to uh, a little bit of uh, why why he's a, his own character, even though we don't see it a whole lot in the uh, the cartoon. And as Megatron takes over the uh, the city uh, and then promises to take over many more, uh, he also names it Megatronio One, which I believe we see get uh, reused uh, in uh, fiction beyond this. You know, and Berger's kind of a uh, uh, abrupt uh, running away. This is the end. This is the apocalypse. Uh, 
kind of like a uh, almost a retroactive Alex Jones type here, which I think kind of fits the uh, the whole uh, you know retroactive motif this uh, episode has. We get a uh, we get a while the uh, Decepticons are turning the humans into slaves. Uh, we get a brief shot of the uh, Triple Changer standing guard. And a pretty funny scene of uh, Blitzwing holding both his uh, weapons, his uh, Energo sword, I believe, energy sword, I believe, and uh, his rifle. And the sword is like uh, comically small. Uh, that the uh, they're they're scaling whoever drew drew that scene. Uh, just w- w- was a bit off, and it's just. I mean, obviously, there's always animation errors in that in these episodes, but uh, that that one just always makes me giggle. And of course. Uh, as the uh, Earthlings are being enslaved, Burger's getting what's coming to him. Uh, you know, we see a little moment where Burger's not a complete uh, monster. He does, you know, he feels bad for Spike and tries to help him out at one point. You know, I guess trying to make, he actually gets to be a fairly in-depth character here. You know, given the, uh, you know, where it comes from, you know, an 80s uh, toy show. But uh, the next part is a little more egregious. Hard to, it's very hard to, uh, you know, say anything other than, you know, cartoon logic. I mean, Trailbreakers force fields are apparently now magic. Uh, his ability for the uh, force field to somehow, uh, you know, withstand the heat and generate or generate enough coolant to keep everyone alive within the force field is uh, some ungodly power. Uh, really, they should just use Trailbreakers powers to, uh, you know, to greater advantage. Apparently, but. Uh, you know, I digress again. It's just it's sometimes this is cartoon logic, and you just got to go with it. Uh, as uh, Spike is uh, trying to create some cover so Chip can escape and get back to Autobot headquarters, uh, we see another example of Spike being absurdly strong. Now, the kid grew up a uh, or grew up on oil fields and construction sites, apparently. So I, I grant you, he's probably stronger than your average fifteen-year-old. But yeah, here we see him just kind of shoulder block this giant. Uh, a wagon of energon cubes, which you know probably weighed a good bit, but he manages to just make it fly, and uh, just one of many examples of him. Uh, seemingly, maybe he's got some uh, some cybernetic implants we're not aware of. Maybe from Autobot Spike. Who knows? I'll get an interesting scene here. I think maybe one of the few in the show where we get to see all the uh, fighter jets up to this point from the Decepticons in uh, in one flight. Here you have uh, both. The uh, season one and season two seekers and Blitzwing, uh, just just really cool. Not all the flyers, of course, but all, all the all the specific the jet fires. I, I really like that. Also, Optimus Prime completely lies to make himself look better here. Impossible! I saw you disintegrated. Illusion, Megatron. Just as you made the people of Earth see us Autobots as villains, so we too staged an illusion. Uh, we created an illusion, just like you did. No, you didn't. You pulled out. You, Trailbreaker pulled out his magic force field out of his ass, and uh, Chip Chase basically, you know, are are actually thrust through pure, uh, just uh, you know, happenstance. Didn't know destroying Teletrans one would break the override. I mean, you did nothing. You got completely lucky here. But uh, boy, he sure talked it up like he did something. Some great leadership. Uh, yeah, I say overall. Uh, Optimus comes out the worst of any one of these episodes. Uh, you know, uh, recent years, I'll take back my uh, opinion that n- the world would not be as gullible as to fall for uh, Megatron's little uh, trap here, but uh, our plan, his master plan. But uh, you know what? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I think this episode's a lot more plausible now than I, I did in the past. Uh, the final battle is, uh, I think, one of the bigger uh, set pieces we get in the show. Like, this is really where uh, I can remember, like, we really see, like, everyone who is uh, basically out at this time. Uh just uh, the full, definitely, definitely the full Decepticon cast minus the Insecticons, I guess. But uh, I think they're they're considered not really Decepticons in the, they're kind of quasi. Uh, however, it works. So they're pretty much the only ones missing, and I think a handful of uh, Autobots skids as always. But uh, overall, this is one of the larger set piece battles uh, in terms of characters that we see through the show. Though I would be remiss if I don't bring up uh, the absence of the Dinobots here. Uh, that, uh, speaking of missing Autobots, who not only just missing from the battle scene, but missing from uh, the uh, the whole the whole uh, episode, which is a kind of a plot hole in itself. And with uh, Sparkplug calling Burger a piece of dog lunch, uh, I wonder what that means. Uh, the episode wraps up. The Autobots forgive Hearth, like, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, we forgive you for trying to shoot us in the sun and not believing us after over, you know, over a year of saving your asses from the Decepticons. It's cool. We cooled, homie. Uh, that's kind of it. Uh, again, just uh, kind of going over what, you know, how this episode has kind of changed my mind. And uh, yeah, really, really interesting one to watch in retrospect. Uh, back over to you, Ant. And for more from Gabe, you can check out his YouTube channel, The Salty Seaman. You can find that at youtube.com slash recharge138. Uh, a couple things, just to, uh, there are a couple things I thought were kind of cool in this episode that I'd also like to mention. And Gabe really did a good job of covering just about everything. Starting from the beginning of the episode, uh, when Spike is out looking for evidence He's gone a while. Like, this either all happens really quickly. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the people of Central City are really good at putting on a parade really quickly. Um, because the Autobots just left. Spike was already gone looking for evidence. And he's still looking at evidence uh, when we get back to him. And no one is really wondering why he's gone so long. So it must be the same day. Um he also drops a bookshelf full of tapes on Ravage, who then shows up at the dance club later on, completely not damaged. Also worth noting, uh, while the Autobots are about to fly into the sun, Cosmos is flying in front of the ship. And if he's just outside of the ship, shouldn't he be able to just physically redirect the ship by transforming and trying to push it since we are in a zero-gravity environment? Another interesting note is during the conversation leading up to that, Ironhide is really not happy with Optimus. Uh, so much so that he makes Optimus doubt himself, which is why he decides to turn back. Later on in the episode, when, when Spike tries to flee Megatron's enslavement, uh, he runs, he trips over a light uh, as Laserbeak does shoot the tape with the evidence on it. Uh, Sean Berger steps up here and he takes out Laserbeak with a boom mic by hitting him with a boom mic. And then Spike actually stops Ravage by shining a floodlight in his face, which is a partial callback to the original three-part miniseries where Ravage being exposed to light uh, distracts him. We also get our first glimpse at Astrotrain in this episode. And we have this weird escape sequence. Now, when Spike 
tries to create a distraction for Chip Chase to escape. Chip uh, wheels himself out of the solar complex where he is being enslaved. Now, remember, Chip is in a wheelchair. So Chip escapes by loading himself into the back of a cargo truck that is shipping off Energon cubes, and he wheels himself up a ramp to get into the back of basically what Optimus Prime will look like in vehicle mode. Now, the truck drives away, and Chip escapes, but then the truck driver, who isn't enslaved, stops at a diner. So it leaves a lot of questions, like, who's if, if the whole city is enslaved by the Decepticons, who's running the diner? Why is the driver not somehow enslaved by the Decepticons since he is hauling their precious energon cubes and when he stops at the truck stop he looks in his side mirror and sees chip rolling off saying this is his stop now chip's already on the ground and he's rolling how did he get the trailer one open from the inside and then two down from the back of the truck that quickly so it couldn't have been like an elevator or a little elevator you know a mechanical platform he had to have jumped his wheelchair off the back of that truck and from there that's how chip ends up at the arc which allows thrust to destroy teletran one which allows the autobots into getting that lucky break and becoming free as uh, gabe mentioned and finally in the final battle um you know, there's a lot shown there, as Gabe mentioned. There's a lot of characters, and it's actually pretty well animated. But one of the some of the more interesting things is we see Starscream get shot twice in two different clips, and we also see uh, the Constructicons all wounded and on the ground. So it's not even like Megatron can call for them to form Devastator. And the episode ends with uh, Burger having to face justice, and this from Optimus Prime. You are going to face justice, and may it be kinder to you than it was to us. And that will wrap things up for another edition of Transformers University. If you like the show, please swing on by our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash tfuinfo, youtube.com slash tfuinfo, and subscribe to the channel. We are trying to get to 1,000 subscribers, and once we do, we will be giving away that studio series thundercracker of course if you'd like to support the show directly swing on by to our patreon patreon.com slash tfu info where there are a number of options starting at just one dollar for you to help the show every month lastly you want to keep up with the show on social media here's how you get in touch twitter at tfu underscore info Facebook.com slash TFU info, Instagram.com slash TFU info. Of course, on the web, www.tfu.info. And if you want to go old school and email me, email address is info at TFU.info. Next time on the show, we are going back to Japan to talk a little bit about some of the original media that was created in 1985 in Japan. And if you like music as much as I do, you're going to want to catch this next episode because we're going to talk a little bit about the soundtrack to Generation 1. All that next time on Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli. Until then, see you.